0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis for you today. And Jim, we just celebrated, it's not too strong of a word, celebrated the rejection of the near nomination for OMB yesterday, withdrawn by the Biden administration. And there's one other name. That's been out front as you got to be kidding me with this nomination. There's a lot of them, but this is the worst of those that are left. And that's Javier Becerra, the California Attorney General, to be Secretary of Health and Human Services for two reasons. He's got no experience in this area, and he's an absolute radical when it comes to abortion and other issues in that department. So the good news is, is that Republicans seem to be pretty much in lockstep against this nomination. The Senate Finance Committee on Wednesday deadlocked 14-14 to advance the nomination, which means it's it's still going to come to the floor. Uh, But now the arm-twisting is underway, aimed at three Democratic senators. And you can probably (laughs) guess who they are. Joe Manchin, West Virginia, Kyrsten Sinema, Arizona, and Mark Kelly, Arizona. So Heritage Action is dumping about half a million dollars into this. Uh, They're going after uh, Becerra's divisive history. You know, of course, he went after the Little Sisters of the Poor, officially by suing the federal government. But come on, we all know what was happening there when it came to the contraception mandate. And what I find interesting, and I think is a good move here, Jim, uh, the advertisement in West Virginia also mentions Becerra's support for a California municipal ban on coal imports, which might get Joe Manchin's attention here. So I don't know how many nominees of President Biden Joe Manchin is going to end up voting against. I feel like two might be a bridge too far, but it's worth the effort and uh Good to know that the that the push is on here because Becerra would be terrible.
1: You know, Greg, when your party has 50 votes in the Senate, but not the White House, that really all you can expect from them is to stay together, get 50 no's, and do their darndest to twist one or two arms on the other side. Ideally, you'd twist many arms on the other side, but look, you know, most Democrats aren't going to have that significant a policy objection to Javier Becerra. They don't care that he's not that qualified. They don't care that he's an abortion extremist. They, you know, they're going to say, well, the president should get his nominees. So we'll see how things shake out for these three Democrats. I, I wouldn't bet a significant amount of money that they will def- uh, betray or, or, you know, go against the rest of their party on this. Um, you know, Manchin may believe that the near attendant vote kind of buys him more leeway on the rest of these nominees. But, you know, we, we did see... A bunch of Republicans vote for uh, Holland uh, for Department of Interior and such. So keeping all 50 Republicans together is good, and this now empowers the Joe Manchins of the world to say, "All right, you know, if you want me to vote for Becerra Biden administration, you got to give me X on coal policy or something else like that." So uh, you know, I, again, you know, ideally, you and I would rather be reporting that up oh, a Democrat has voted, you know, indicated they're going to vote no. The uh, nomination is now doomed. They're already looking for a replacement or something like that. We're not quite there yet. The next best thing is to hold the line and have a 50-50 vote where uh, Kamala Harris has to come in and break the tie and just send this very clear signal to the entire country that, look, if if Javier Becerra seems like an extremist to you, if he seems like an odd choice, if he seems like he's not qualified for this job, Republicans agree with you And Greg, obviously, look, there's nothing you can do about it in terms of when the vote takes place. But I don't know if this was like fall of 2022. Do you think these senators would all vote the same way?
0: (laughs) I think a lot of them would. I think we're so polarized now that basically everyone not mentioned as one of the three senators uh, is probably locked in. I mean, think about Kavanaugh and the people that could have voted for him. The Claire McCaskill's, the Joe Donnelly's, they just just didn't do it. I was just going to say,
1: it's an easier vote in the beginning of the cycle than towards the closer to election day. I'll just say that.
0: Certainly the case. And uh, so we'll see what happens here. Uh, We mentioned about how the Biden administration's energy policy decisions have certainly not been much of a help in winning over Lisa Murkowski. I wonder, different energy issues, but I wonder how much they're affecting the relationship with Joe Manchin as well, not to mention Kamala Harris doing interviews to try and uh, uh, pressure Manchin uh, with West Virginia Media and so forth. So uh, strange tactics, but we'll see who ends up winning here. All right, let's talk about uh, ways to save money. Uh, That's always going to be helpful, especially with gas prices on the rise and other costs, perhaps rising. We're always looking for ways to save money, but now you can do it on your car insurance, and your homeowner's insurance. In fact, how would you like to keep an extra $961 a year? That's how much Gabby customers save per year by comparing prices. And so if you're going to shop for insurance, use Gabby.
1: This is the time of year that people go shopping for insurance, and Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers. You just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Now, like Greg mentioned earlier, Gabby customers save $961 per year on average. I'll bet that would be nice to have in your pocket every year. And if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so that you can relax knowing that you have the best rate that is out there. And they'll never sell your information, so you never have to deal with any annoying spam or robocalls.
0: Those last two reasons are the best reasons to to try out Gabby. There's no obligation. Uh, it's totally free. And you'll have that peace of mind knowing. I went through it, didn't have to change, liked my rates. But now I have that peace of mind of knowing. And they don't sell your info because you do have to put in uh, some personal information to make sure that they have the proper information. You link to your current insurance policy, and then you get the comparable rates. So you're probably overpaying, though, on your car and home insurance. See how much Gabby can save you. Again, totally free to check. No obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's GABI.com slash martini. Again, Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim. As the World Turns continues with Andrew Cuomo. He has broken his public silence at a press conference. Yesterday, Some of it was on COVID, but uh, of course, just about everybody was asking him questions about the sexual harassment allegations. Uh, he had a couple of things that we're going to react to here. First of all, his comment right here, that he had no idea that he was making anyone uncomfortable.
2: I never knew at the time I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. And I certainly never, ever meant to offend anyone or hurt anyone.
0: And then uh, Jim, he says that this is perhaps misunderstood because uh, he has a habit, his late father, the former governor Mario Cuomo had a habit of kissing people when he greeted them. And maybe that's what was going on here.
2: You can find uh, hundreds of pictures of me uh, making the same gesture with hundreds of people, women, men, children, etc., uh, You can go find hundreds of pictures of me uh, kissing people, uh, men, women. It is my usual and customary way of greeting. You know that because you've watched me for uh, let's just say uh, more years than we care to remember. By the way, it was my father's way of greeting people. You're the governor of the state. You want people to feel comfortable. You want to reach out to them.
0: So, Jim, the accusers not buying this at all. You have some Cuomo supporters online saying, oh, he apologized. We got to let the system play out and everything. But uh, what do you make of his apology that uh, if you were offended, you know, then he's sorry. Yeah. So there's three
1: facts to keep in mind here, Greg. The first is... um, Andrew Cuomo's lying. Right. Just, just keep that in mind. Second thing is, we we this is one of those weird situations in which we actually have a picture of the described behavior in action. That infamous photo of Cuomo with the young staffer at the wedding. We can see the look on her face. She's not enthusiastic. She's not welcoming this. I, I think almost anybody could look at that face. If, if you reached out to touch the face of someone or to kiss them on the cheek or to make what struck you as some sort of harmless and, and you know, warm gesture, and you saw them flinching like that, cringing like that, like that that kind of look of kind of horror and dread on their face, we probably would pull back. We probably recognize, oh God, I didn't mean to do that to you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, upset you. It, you and, and There's no indication that Andrew Cuomo recognizes he's either blind and can't see your face or he's ignoring it. And I guess this is the third thing that if you are allegedly a good politician, if you are allegedly a good leader and you are good with people to quote the uh, classic of Western literature office space, I'm good with people, why can't you idiot see that? If Andrew Cuomo really is the guy he thinks he is, then you have to be aware of how you come off to other people, how other people are responding to what you are saying and what you are doing. And we talked about this a couple of days ago. The, the, you know, uh, Harvey Weinstein, oh, I'm from a different era. and This was normal back then. You know, look, there are a lot of women in this world who have experienced sexual harassment, who have experienced inappropriate behavior, and they're really getting tired of being told that they're uptight, that they're, uh, you know, chilly or, or, you know, not warm people, uh, or that they just aren't fun or, or anything like that. They don't believe that these are all innocent misunderstandings. They're pretty darn sure that these men in power knew darn well what they were doing, and they knew darn well how the women were reacting to it, and they just didn't care. And that, I suspect, is truly what's at work here. Um, Could it happen in one or two circumstances? Fine, but if you are a male superior and you are constantly surrounded by female superiors who are cringing when you touch them, you probably should stop touching them. There's really very, you know, handshakes are kind of normal in the business environment, at least pre-pandemic. Um, beyond that, there are lots of, look, I can understand, we, we probably have all had circumstances where you, you get together with a group of people, maybe friends you haven't seen for a long time, and they, you know, you're going in for the handshake and all of a sudden this happens more often with members of the opposite sex. Uh, they lean in for the, the kiss on the cheek. And I don't know about you, Greg, I was like, oh, overdoing this? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed that memo, that sense of, and usually no, I'm, I'm fine with it, but there's the, kind of that sense of some people that's their normal level of comfort in terms of physical contact. If you are a, if you think of yourself as a good person, and if you think of yourself as a good leader, and if you think of yourself as someone who's quote unquote good with people, the kind of trait you'd want to have in a governor, you probably would, you know, recognize that, oh, I'm making someone else uncomfortable, I should I should either, you know, drop that habit or I should be much more cautious about how I exhibit that habit. But then again, you know, Greg, is it really that unthinkable that we would see insensitivity from the governor who's declared,
0: who cares how they died? They're dead. Well, that's certainly true. And to follow up on the office space uh, analogy, he doesn't want us to jump to conclusions. (laughs) until the investigation is done. Uh, Jim, I found it interesting in that one clip where he says uh, it was never his intent for them to feel uncomfortable. Well, no, his intent was for them to reciprocate, obviously. It just didn't happen that way, Governor. Sorry if it bruised your ego. Uh, But in one of the questions in the press conference, uh, the first person who asked a question said, "Are, are you still the right person to lead with both of these investigations going on, especially the sexual harassment one? And I'm thinking... Is this, is this what's at work here, where we've decided, as, as bad as it is, this is more significant than a policy that resulted in up to 10,000 people dead?
1: You know, Greg, we were talking about this on National Review's editor's podcast earlier this week. And, and you know, we went into pretty deep depth about the, uh, the sexual harassment allegations. Um, and, and my distinguished colleagues, uh, you know, all dressed and they got to me. And I said, to me, you know, Rich, there's also that small matter of the giant pile of dead senior citizens' bodies— that are still in the middle of the room and that are, uh, I would argue, if not a direct result, then a pretty clearly where the problem was exacerbated by state policies requiring nursing homes to readmit those who are still recovering from a coronavirus infection. And uh, it does seem ludicrous that uh, sexual harassment would be the thing that, you know, uh, ultimately, if it, if it does end up taking down uh, Governor Cuomo, You'd like to think that both would not be something that they could uh, that a governor could, you know, uh, just barrel his way through. But, you know, Greg, we're, we're talking in the state of Virginia. So apparently there's really almost unlimited capacity for tolerance of scandal, at least in certain states and certain demographics.
0: Exactly. And I think part of it, if there is an effort to kind of shove the nursing home scandal to the side is because there could be more heads to roll in that scandal than there would be in this one. Obviously, Cuomo would be the main uh, uh, person to have to suffer the consequences of this one, where there could be health administrators and other people in his inner circle uh, that could be part of that policy and keeping it going, covering it up and uh, delaying the report and all that sort of stuff. Uh, It's just amazing. But I also think the media uh, has a tendency to gravitate towards the simpler to understand scandal, to wade through the layers of how this policy was uh, crafted and covered it up is more complicated than saying, oh, there's a fourth accuser, if there is ever a fourth accuser. Uh, It's almost like uh, in the early days of the second uh, term for Bill Clinton, where you had the uh, huge scandal of uh, Chinese fundraising, but there was a lot of tentacles to that, and it kind of made people gloss over. But, oh, he had an inappropriate relationship with an intern. We understand that. So let's talk about that one instead. You know, I would just like to remind people that as much as you may be upset
1: about China, first of all, remember, we can trust them. (laughs) <laughs> they're terrific in every way. And all uh, oh, I'm in trouble about China, did I mention this intern? You get, you're not going to believe what I did with her. I, I got to use my Bill Clinton impressions while I can. I'm feeling we won't, be, won't have, be able to do that for a long time. You don't hear from old Bill as much as he used to.
0: Yeah, he's he's stayed relatively quiet lately. So, um, well, if anybody knows about pillows, it's Bill Clinton. So let's talk about <problem>. That was an excellent transition. Thank you. Thank you. Did you know that my pillow is about more than just a fantastic pillow though? Now my pillow has given the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets. In fact, right now 3 Martini Lunch listeners can buy one get one free on all 6-piece towel sets and Giza dream sheet sets.
1: You know, I'm feeling the good people at My Pillow would not want me to do a Bill Clinton voice for the rest of these. <laughs> And I point out, probably because people wouldn't believe these statements if they were coming from the voice of Bill Clinton. My pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. They're soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. They come with a 10 year warranty and a 60 day
0: money back guarantee. They're washable, they're dryable,
1: and they have seven colors
0: to choose from. The MyPillow Giza Dreams bed sheets are made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish and will have you sleeping great. Also... 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee, washable and dryable, wide variety of colors and sizes. Visit MyPillow.com to learn more. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners, again, all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets are buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 to buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and Giza dream sheets. All right, Jim. Once upon a time, March 4th was Inauguration Day. In fact, it was, other than the very first inauguration, all the way up through 1933. And then they changed the Constitution, and now it's January 20th. So some of the conspiracy theorists out there somehow threw it out there that uh, Trump is somehow going to be reinaugurated today. And because of that, there is allegedly a threat that uh, there's going to be violence at the Capitol. So the House. Uh, closed for the day, uh, finished up its business, I think, for the week last night. I believe the Senate is still working today. Uh, But at the same time that this is being investigated, we've got more information on what was known prior to January 6th. Chad Pergram, a longtime producer for Fox News up on the Hill, has a long Twitter thread. Here's something what he says. Fox has obtained a physical copy of the situational information report issued by the FBI's Norfolk, Virginia division on January 5th, one day ahead of the riot at the Capitol. U.S. Capitol Police received this information ahead of the riot. The FBI Norfolk report says its receiving agencies are requested not to take action based on this raw reporting without prior coordination with the FBI. So that may be a part of it. But an online thread discussed specific calls for violence to include stating, be ready to fight. Congress needs to hear glass breaking, doors being kicked in, and blood from their BLM and Antifa slave soldiers being spilled. Get violent. Stop calling this a march or a rally or a protest go there ready for war. We get our president or we die. Nothing else will achieve these goals. One posted a comment that if Antifa or BLM get violent, leave them dead in the street. Another individual commented that they needed people on standby to provide supplies, including water and medical to the front lines. The individual also discussed the need to evacuate non-combatants and wounded to medical care. Uh, They talk about setting up a perimeter. We know from CTU how unsuccessful that is, but uh, perimeter maps and caravan pictures were posted. They had different uh, groups being labeled as to where they were coming from around the country, and they even had maps of capital access tunnels. So, Jim, it's hard to imagine that knowing when these people were coming to town that there wasn't better coordination and better response in time. That's not to say that the people responsible aren't the people who perpetrated this, but it is kind of curious that this much information was known and uh, there wasn't a more coordinated response, at least as far as we can tell.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess we should, I'll get, I'll just get it out of the way, Greg, everyone should go back and listen to our segment about Disney CTU, <laughs> not just because it's hilarious, but because we were, you know, we were spurred to, to come up with that idea because of the, really weird oddity of learning that Disney's private security organization forces, you know, do, that are, you know, designed to deal with any potential terrorist or security threat at Disney World had picked out the guy who ended up being the Orlando mass shooter and uh, had, you know, kind of been alerted and noticed him and spotted him on surveillance. And I guess something they had done details why he had not gone to, he had originally contemplated doing the house of blues in as part of the disney complex in orlando uh, apparently he went there and then chickened out or or didn't, didn't feel good about it and decided to be with uh, robert Iger's autobiography actually begins with this anecdote and that recognition of how close they came to a uh you know having that massacre at disney world instead of at the pulse nightclub in orlando and of course, in the aftermath, we heard about all the various folks who had warned the FBI about this. And of course, all the folks who warned people about the shooter at the high school in Florida. And we start thinking, what, what's going on with the FBI? Now, I, I also believe during his testimony yesterday, Christopher Ray said he had never seen the, uh, the Norfolk memo until after the riot. So there, there's two possibilities here. First possibility is just a flat out screw up that that this is the sort of thing that should have gone off the chain, that this should have spurred higher levels of alert, more deployment of resources and kind of a higher level of readiness for everybody who was involved in protecting Capitol Hill that day. And that might very well be the case. The other possibility that I, I find it interesting that law enforcement isn't really willing to discuss is whether this is the sort of thing they get all the time, that whether... Uh, whether it's militia groups or terror groups or, or, you know, your average unhinged Yahoo on the internet or something like that, that they're always making threats like this. They're always talking about these big things they're going to do. And that in the end, you know, 99.9% of them never turn into anything. I can't remember the name of who it was, but sometime back in the late Bush, probably early Obama years, was someone who retired from the intelligence community, who was doing some? It was a panel discussion. I don't think it was a, a TV thing, but they said something like, "You know, what do you make of this most this recent ominous, you know, uh, chatter about a terror attack?" This person from the intel world just, you know, said, "I'm tired of that term because these guys are always chattering. There's always chatter about a terror attack. There's chatter right before there actually is a terror attack, and there's a lot of chatter when there's not a terror attack. That these guys are just always talking about this sort of stuff." And always boasting, and always, and it's, you know, it's, it's they're all big talkers. And they don't necessarily follow up on all these big plans that they're talking about. That may be the case. And it may be the case that the FBI and all these other institutions are just inundated with this. And thus, it's very hard to stand out in the noise and very hard to stand out in the crowd. And it's very hard to say, oh, this one sounds like the real deal. This one doesn't sound like a bunch of guys bragging. This one we should, you know, take seriously compared to everything else. I, you know, I, again, if that's the case, I kind of like law enforcement to, uh, to share that because even though it's ominous and it's scary and it indicates it's very hard to pick out the needle from the haystack and figure out what a real threat is from the usual bluster, I'd be much more forgiving of law enforcement if that's the situation. If it really is like you get 100 threats a day and most days all of them turn out to be nothing and you know, once every six months, you know, one out of the 100 is going to be a big deal okay, that's a really tough job. I will be much more sympathetic to the, the problems that law enforcement and our intelligence community and all those folks face in these sorts of things. If it's not like that, and this really was the sort of thing that should have gone up the, gone up the, the chain and, and really should have been taken more seriously, well, then, then we've got a really different problem. And then we need uh, a, a, just a continuing change of that culture in the FBI, because clearly certain red flags just don't get you know acted upon I don't know, lexadaisicalness or uh, overconfidence or or what it is, but it's, you know, it's a serious enough mistake that can end up costing people lives.
0: It's easy to be the Monday morning quarterback, obviously, but uh, whenever you see these uh, pieces of intelligence, and it seems like there was uh, quite a bit of detail uh, in that, that the FBI passed along to Capitol Police that they're wasn't a more significant response uh, makes you wonder. But uh, hopefully, there will be uh, more coming out on this, whether it's from Chris Ray or from, from someone else. But uh, there's got to be a happy medium between uh, not being ready and uh, having a fortress up there with uh, barbed wire and, and huge fences for the foreseeable future, which is what the Capitol Police apparently is planning on right now, which is not good either. Well, I was
1: prepared for the last war,
0: Greg. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Have a good one. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. We love, love, love your five-star ratings and your very kind reviews. Thank you for those. Also, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Joe Biden's immigration policies are already causing huge problems, from stopping border wall construction, releasing criminals into our communities, exposing our children to them, to the desperate people being exploited by the cartels on their way into the United States. I'm Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, we are following this issue very closely, and I'll share my expertise and my terrific sources to explain how this impacts our nation and our families. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.